0: You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. I couldn't be more excited to be here with the author of the Palace Papers, who knows everything about this Saturday's coronation. So, Tina, my first question
1: to you is, is Meghan Markle going? She is not. And for all the kind of will she, won't she and her conversations that led up to that decision, I actually don't think she was ever going to come, actually. I, th- I think that she had the perfect out, which is that that day is the fourth uh, birthday of Archie, her child, her, her their child. And, you know, it's a perfect thing. Harry can go to the coronation and she can stay uh, and celebrate her, her son's fourth birthday. And I think that was elegant and useful Did you, do to everyone th- Do you... Th- the
0: coronation wasn't planned on purpose on Archie's birthday, was it? <laughs>
1: Certainly not. I mean, you know, getting that date has been one of the great big juggles in the calendar, but let's put it this way, it was fortuitous for all concerned.
0: Okay, so let's talk about Harry and Meghan to kick this discussion off, because he is still a prince. He will be going back. There is that moment, I think in Spare, where he talks about his father saying to him, please, boys, don't ruin my last few years. And yet with the publication of Spare, he's thrown so many spanners into the machinery of the royal family. It's hard to see how it can function. How will he be received when he goes back by his family and then by the public?
1: Well, it has been an agonizing thing, the question of Harry at the coronation, because Charles, you know, adores Harry. He was his darling boy. He was always his favourite son, is the truth. And much closer to Harry than he was with William. So this has all been extremely painful for him. And spare really he found a shattering experience. But at the same time, you know, he wanted him there. And actually, I think that Harry Uh, Has some regrets, really, about the amount of pain all this has caused. Uh, You know, there was a moment during the preparation for Spare shortly after the Queen's Jubilee when he really tried to not write that book. He didn't want to go ahead with it. He wanted to stop. But it was too much money, too much commitment, too much kind of publishing, uh, you know, bottom line uh you know massive amounts of of, of money had been thrown it at this point so that he would have had to pay back not just the advance but you know dividends on that advance so he went forward with it and the book actually got kind of a lot of massive editing before it, it really came out so i think that for, for, for harry not to have been there would have been a kind of final wounding severance and he needed to be there also frankly harry needs the royal branding himself because as you know, the celebrity karma fades, as it always does, after a major, major explosion, uh, you know, he, he needs to keep up that whole royal connection. So it was actually in good for the Harry brand. How will he be received? Well, actually, the public in England, although he's massively unpopular now, compared to what he used to be, I still think he'll get a cheer. He did. He was not booed at the Queen's uh, when he went last time. Uh, and I think, you know, that that the public will just not be uh, thrilled, but I don't think he's going to be booed. In my view, he will be booed by some, but I don't think it's going to be you know one of those great repudiations that some people think. So, how do you think he will
0: navigate William? Will he and William be standing next to each other? I, I mean, he accuses William of so many things in Spare, not least the two of them having a physical fight over Meghan. Um,
1: how are they going to navigate that? Well, their their relationship is actually at rock bottom. It, it is just, I mean, the two of them. There's no communication, whatever, between them. It's actually been exacerbated again, even recently, because <clears throat> Harry has recently revealed, you uh, know, in, in in legal proceedings that are going on, when the phone hacking, old phone hacking uh, suit that he launched against uh, the tabloids, uh, it, it came out just recently that uh, William had actually settled. Made a settlement uh, with the tabloids and was paid a, a large amount of money. And there had been probably a secret agreement between the Palace and the Murdoch papers that, you know, once again excluded Harry. So that coming out did not please William. That was supposed to be confidential. So there's even more rancor between the two of them than there ever has been. So I think they'll sit a pretty long way from each other, but, you know, in a decorous fashion. Harry will probably be seated, I think, with. Uh, Prince Andrew's two girls, Beatrice and Eugenie, who he's very good friends with, but he won't be seated up front, you know, with the the big royals. So you've got Prince Charles, um, or King Charles, I should
0: say, sorry. Um, You've got his son on the one hand, and then you've got his brother, Prince Andrew, who of course got into all sorts of trouble um not least with this BBC interview but of course with his association with jeffrey epstein what are they going to do with prince andrew
1: the big problem with prince andrew is how do you stash away you know a perfectly healthy sort of 62 year old man um no one i mean the only person who wants to talk to prince andrew at the moment is his horse which is why he goes riding all the time so i mean and, and charles has just recently told him he has to leave the house on the Windsor Estate, and move into Frogmore, the former abode of Meghan and Harry. It's been an endless kind of real estate, you know, roundabout going on recently with you know people being ejected and stuffed into various parts of the Windsor Estate, and and Andrew's very much fighting this. You know, this was his house. He, you know, the house belonged to the Queen Mother, um, and she sort of bequeathed it to Andrew. Uh, uh, and Andrew believes it's his house now, and he, he wants to stay there for the rest of his life. But how, uh, but you know, Charles has said, no, you've got to go, you've got to downsize, and you've got to go and move into Frogmore. So things are pretty tricky with Andrew at the moment. He still dies to come back, thinks he can still come back, pines to come back, but he just hasn't got the memo that nobody wants to see him. And frankly, I think he should have gone off to sort of the border countries and, you know, <laughs> I don't know. The border country of Scotland, in, in, in days past, he would have probably been sort of banished into some castle and, you know, um, but they, you can't do that anymore. So Andrew remains a big problem for Charles. So, of course,
0: one of the people who must be watching this coronation with great fascination is of course Kate Middleton's mother. Um, what, are, what is Kate's role during the coronation? And if you were watching her mother, what
1: would you think she'd be thinking? Well, I mean, I think this is going to be Kate's, uh, you know, she'll be flawlessly elegant, she'll be untouchably gorgeous, uh, she will play the perfect role of supporter as she always does. But I'm sure that Mrs. Middleton, her who I think of as the sort of the Mrs. Bennett of the Middleton family, um, will be sitting there thinking one step closer one step closer, <laughs> one step closer, because the next coronation will be of William and her daughter, Queen Kate. So I think she'll be, I think she'll be thinking to herself, um, "One step closer," as I say. I think actually one of the things I'm going to be thinking about is little George, right? Because he'll be sitting there, um, you know, aged eight or nine or whatever he is now, uh, and he, I wonder, you know, one wonders, will he be thinking? This is going to be me. Is it a frightening thought for that child to think that this will be him, you know, after his dad? And it's a very daunting thought, I would have thought, for today's young, you know, modern uh, child to even contemplate such an idea that this is going to be your destiny.
0: Well, probably just as alarming, too, for William, right, who will take the throne after Charles dies.
1: Yes, I think that William, uh, who's going to be the only person to kneel before his father and uh, kiss him upon his cheek. um, Yeah, I think William has a lot of misgivings himself, quite honestly. We don't hear about those because we've heard so vociferously about Harry's misgivings. But what Harry never really embraced in his book at all was just how hard it is for William, right? I mean, he kind of behaves in the book as if William, everything was great for William. I don't think everything is at all great for William. I mean, you know, he's in this cage for the rest of his life. And, you know, this, again, brings him one step closer and and not too far away because Charles is, you know, 74. Uh, We don't know how long his reign is going to be. Uh, His mother, of course, reigned till she was 96. And there is a lot of thoughts that perhaps that wasn't such a great thing in the end. So uh, for William, I think it it, will be a very sobering day, really, as he looks at his destiny.
0: So King Charles has got to navigate his son and his brother. Uh, his other son, William, Uh, but of course he'll have Camilla by his side. Now, is it right that we're going to be calling her or referring to her after Saturday as Queen Camilla?
1: We're actually already calling her Queen Camilla. You know, the the, the, uh, Queen Consort bit has been swiftly dropped and uh, it was made known that uh, from now on she's Queen Camilla. So she is going to be anointed as well and she's going to be crowned. Uh, with the crown of Queen Mary, who is the uh, was the great grandmother of uh, Charles, who was married to George V, she will be crowned with that crown with some additional diamonds in the crown, which were belong to Queen Elizabeth's crown. So I think there's going to be a slight, shall we say, I think that at the moment when Camilla's crowned, there will be a, a, a sort of collective intake of breath a little bit. Because I think that what we're seeing in the polls is the British people actually are really fine with Camilla being Charles's wife, really fine with being Camilla being queen. But when you go and say, "Should she be crowned?" it dives. People don't really want to see her crowned. There's something about that moment. It seems, is it a bridge too far? But you know, on the other hand, the other argument is, well, look, you know, she's his wife, she should have it. I mean, what does that say about second wives if they don't get equal status? <laughs> Personally, I think all second wives Great. should be called queen. <laughs> but um, so there is that argument.
0: <laughs> so, what will Charles and Camilla, as far as you know, um, and this is probably a ridiculous question, but but what will they actually be thinking? Do you think when they get up on Saturday? Do you? I mean, obviously, there's been a huge amount of rehearsal for it. Do you think that they are anxious? Will they be nervous? Will they have a little shot of something before they go out on the road in the extraordinary coach that that they'll ride to Westminster Abbey in? Um, And I'm thinking of the moment when the Archbishop of Canterbury will announce King Charles in Westminster Abbey and then the congregation all shout, long live the King. I, I mean, you you've come across charles do you think he's going to be excited by this is he embarrassed by it what what will he do
1: well i think i really do think that for charles this is the sort of greatest moment of his life the the culmination of everything it's what he's been put on this earth to do what he's been waiting all this time for preparing all this time and i think he takes it actually as a very sort of sacred moment in his life he's he's quite religious uh, he's a deeply spiritual man at any rate and certainly views this as a very spiritual for him occasion. The anointing again is going to be out of sight as it was for his mother. And that I think for Charles is going to be a very sacred moment. So I think that he is going to be can you just very,
0: can you, can you just hmm. tell us about the anointing just because we haven't had a coronation for 70 years. What actually is the yes. anointing?
1: The anointing is when the archbishop, you know, uh, Takes the sacred oils, the holy anointing oils, and daubs the king, you know, on his head, on his chest. The king is wearing, at that moment, not his sort of regal robes, but his sort of, it's it's like a a, a shift that they put on. I mean, uh, you know, it's out of sight. Um, it's uh, uh, it's called the super tunica, which I have to say sounds like some wonderful Karl Lagerfeld thing that we all want, right? Rush out and get your super tunica, everybody. A little Monty python perhaps. <laughs> But uh, he will then emerge so, so, from. So I, I just want to get this. <laughs> hold on, I just want to get this
0: absolutely straight. He goes behind some sort of curtain or into some sort of private room. Yes. Yes, a
1: undressed. canopy. He'll be
0: on a canopy, obscured from the cameras. He'll be under a canopy. Okay. Then he yeah. gets undressed. He's daubed in sacred oil, and then he's redressed.
1: Then he's put into the ceremony uh, the the royal the 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 estate robes which are the you know the robes of the king the beautiful purple ermine ermine robes of the king which and then he comes out and he's at that moment he's king and so that's a very very big deal for Charles so I think that he's going to be very focused very centered and very calm I think Camilla is going to be quite honestly a basket case <laughs> I think she is so. This is such a, a wild development that she's going to be now queen, really. And even though she has been preparing for it now for the last, you know, I mean, certainly actually for the last year, but, you know, 10 months or whatever it is since the queen died. And she knew, of course, this would happen now that she's married to, has been married to the Prince of Wales. But the full velocity of this massive, you know, uh, responsibility and, and 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 you know, huge worldwide event this is not someone who was raised for that. Don't forget, you know, Charles has been on the public stage forever, ever since, ever since he literally was in the, it was in his stroller. He's been on the public stage. He's been making speeches. He's been all over the world. He's the world's most accomplished statesman. Camilla, you know, was a country wife living in the shires, uh, married to an army officer who was, of course, you know, was the mistress of of Charles. But you know, she was the out of sight girlfriend. She never really ever expected to be in this position in her life, and I think it's been very, very sort of nerve wracking for her in every conceivable way. But if you're at Harvard
0: Business School, she would make the most extraordinary study in how she went from being possibly the most loathed woman in Britain. Because one has to remember that, of course, Princess Diana was still alive at this stage. So the juxtaposition between poor Diana, who the public felt very sympathetic to for having been the recipient of Charles's adultery, if you like um to suddenly ascending the throne that is an extraordinary journey in terms of public relations it's
1: an unbelievable turnabout and I mean she had the most incredible strategic patience there's no doubt about it uh you know it's it's been one it, it has been a very very uh careful uh sort of re-emergence for her and you know she's had all these setbacks to which we will forget I mean yes she was sort of the the other woman all the way through the diana case and 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 in fact you know people always were the tabloids were just terrible about her they called her an old trout an old bag a you know uh, you know a a, a, a sort of thing they, they, they knew every conceivable there was even a a dish at a restaurant which was called smoked haddock Parker bowls. you know with people just <laughs> ridiculed her all the time right. to, some, to such an extent that she actually used to sign her love letters to Charles, your devoted old bag, Camilla, um, as a sort of joke, because that's how she was always regarded. So she had all that. Then she gets to her 50th birthday, they're divorced, Charles and and Diana finally, and the goal is to bring her out because they're divorced. There's a blazing 50th birthday party, which is the moment that Charles hosts the party for her. And it's the kind of moment of Camilla's coming out. And what happens a few months later, Diana dies. At which point, Camilla once again is cast back into the role of you know the evil temptress, cast back into the shadows. She literally has to go into hiding for really a year or two, because you know the the the, the kind of uh, sanctification of Diana was at such a a massive point. You know that she was the most adored woman in the world. It went on and on, and she literally went back into hiding. But then gradually she comes, she gets comes out again, out of hiding. And Charles, of course, has a great press secretary in Mark Bolland, whose role was Operation PB, as they called it, Operation Parker Bowles, get Camilla back into the sort of, you know, get her out of the shadows, move her gradually, gradually, gradually into a place where Charles could marry her. And, you know, his main opposition was the Queen. The Queen did not want that to happen. I mean, the Queen was so against Camilla. She wouldn't even allow Camilla to come to Charles's 50th birthday party. She had to be kind of sitting at home, like, you know, washing her hair, while her entire social group of friends and posh friends and landowners and all the rest of it were all dancing the night away at Windsor Castle. That was a bitter, a bitter thing. So we've gone from that to her now being Queen Camilla, then being anointed. So it it is extraordinary what she's pulled off.
0: And so she gets anointed too,
1: and as you said, crowned too. Yeah, she gets crowned with uh, Queen Mary's crown, and uh, you know, I think that that's going to be a very big moment. And her, she's going to be attended by her her grandchildren. Her entire family are there. And her, what is um, kind of piquant as well is that Camilla never uh, has stopped being very close to her ex-husband Andrew Parker Bowles, and he will be he will be in the in the Abbey too. Um smiling with pride like the Queen Mother. <laughs> <laughs> not, not something uh, people always feel about
0: their that. Um, no. So let's think th- this must be the most extraordinary guest list to put together. And uh, uh, who hasn't made the cut? Well, I suppose oh, I should uh, ask that the other way around. Let me ask it the other way around. Let, let, uh, who's made the cut? Uh, what, what was the criteria for, for people being invited? Yeah. And then who hasn't made the cut much more interesting?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, the, the, the guest list, as we know, it's been greatly slimmed down, you know, from Queen Elizabeth's day. I mean, there were 6,000 people who came to, you know, to you know, 6,000 in the congregation for, for Queen Elizabeth and they had to kind of build scaffolding all over the Abbey to to keep them in. Um, so it was reduced to 2000, which is really not that many when you consider uh, the kind of people that have to be invited. There was also a desire, uh, really particularly sort of promoted by Charles, that this was going to be a much more inclusive coronation. So of course, you're going to see many, many more people of colour in this crowd, I mean, than you ever would have found at the first coronation of before. So it, the idea was to make it much more inclusive so that, you know, they were go the peers of the realm who normally would have been invited, all of them, the entire sort of every major, you know, noble um, name appeared at the last coronation dressed in their sort of noble robes. They've all been kind of bums rushed out of the situation, except for just a handful, much to their absolute uh, chagrin, and have been replaced by people from, uh, you know, the the National Health Service and the charities and, you know, um, Charles's, uh, you know, uh, you know, all of his multi-charities uh, that he hosts. So there's going to be a much, there'll be a big component, which are those kind of people. The MPs also used to all be invited. Now they've been cut down to 40, which is uh, the worst about that is that they've been told they can't bring their wives. And there was an enormous amount of gnashing of teeth about that and complaining. Um, so it's it's been greatly reduced. And every so often, uh, the Daily Mailers had enormous fun, sort of running a piece every three days with some sort of, um, you know, crusty, you know, (laughs) Duke in the country, sort of saying through clenched teeth, you know, that he has absolutely no concerns about the fact that they weren't and he wasn't invited. So there's a lot of people who the many noses are out of joint all over the place. I mean, interestingly, um, Fergie once again has not made the cut. Why do I think that's interesting? She never makes the cut, but sometimes she has been lately. And her and her two daughters are going, and Andrew's going. So she might have thought this time she could have sneaked in, but she said, very ga- very gamely that she'll be staying at home instead. You know, stringing up bunting and um, <laughs> and eating, uh, a, a, you know, a coronation chicken sandwich. Um, And then um, various friends who who kind of were asked very, very late. You know, people like, for instance, Stephen Fry, who's one of Charles's very, very good friends. I mean, he only just recently got his invitation, but they are beginning, a few of them are beginning to dribble out now. But it's been very parsimonious. I was going to
0: ask you if we expect a celebrity contingent. I mean, will the Beckhams be there? Is Oprah going? Does this have the same appeal as a royal
1: wedding? No, they will not be there. That is not Charles's uh, gang anyway. And there's no desire to kind of dress the set with uh, uh, celebrities who just happen to be, you know, the people we all want to see. Absolutely, no, that won't be the case. There'll be a lot of crowned heads from uh, from, who nobody will recognize from Europe, (laughs) a lot of them. And, right. you know, so, 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 some 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 prime ministers, I mean, Macron is going, uh, President Poland's going, uh, Biden, as we know, is not going. Um, but then again, American presidents, I don't think, have ever been to the coronation. I know that Eisenhower uh, didn't go uh, to to Elizabeth. So Jill Biden is going to be going and taking her granddaughter, which has caused a certain amount of, shall we say, uh, nobody expected her to show up with a plus one mm-hmm. Um, so that was another little moment of P- palace frisson.
0: Well, surely they couldn't expect the first lady to sit on her own. I mean, one's mindful of the fact that Paul Biden had to, the president had to sit sixteen rows back at the Queen's funeral, behind all the European royals.
1: Oh, I'm telling you, this is this is a ruthless cut. People are not getting any plus ones.
0: No. So is the food? I mean, obviously not within the west. Not within westminster abbey itself but are there sort of side parties is it like the white house
1: correspondence there's, 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 uh, <laughs> dinner i mean well I, there's a lot there's a lot of village parties going on the the chic thing to do is to go back to your is to go to your country house in the village and take part in the big village village festivity whatever that is uh the decreed coronation dish is coronation quiche, which has also got very bad reviews with people saying it's a terrible sort of soggy idea to have a coronation quiche. So there's massive amounts of coronation quiches being baked. Uh, Bunting will be strung. Um, We're reading already all the pieces saying that nobody's enthusiastic, but that will not be true on the day. That is what they always, always say before any of these royal events. And then just in about 24 hours before everybody goes completely... Bonkers and and becomes a patriot and a monarchist and uh, starts jiggling around with the Morris dancing. And I think it's going to be a big fiesta, actually.
0: So what grade would you give King Charles in this period, the sort of internship he's had? I mean, admittedly, he's had an internship the entire of his life. But in the sort of six months since his mother died to now, I mean, there were a couple of awkward moments at the beginning of his um, monarchy with the pen incident where he gets very flustered over a pen that was leaking. Um, oh, I, do, I just hate, the, I hate, these stinking doing? Things. I hate these stinking things. That was um, such a bad, that was, that was not good because you, you got a slight insight there into the fact that he probably loses his temper quite a lot. And Camilla looked sort of resigned to it. But... You know, if, what kind of a king is he going to be?
1: And has he been doing OK so far? Honestly, apart from his uh, the, the, the pen flap, which, of course, got more TikTok views than the entire Queen's death altogether, I think, um, he's actually been flawless. I mean, he's really been flawless because essentially, you know, the publication of Spare was his really was his first massive issue, you know, and he sailed through it uh, absolutely brilliantly. Basically, everybody—they all just rallied around the royals, and out they went sailing forth. Uh, you know, being immaculate and and going to their charities, and they just simply said nothing, and that got him a lot of points. I have to say. So you know, in a way, uh, sort of inadvertently, I think Harry enabled Charles to uh, gave him some points actually, which I know was not the intention. He's also just been. So kind of debonair and 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 so appropriate at every moment. I mean, it started with the moment the Queen died, when he came out and made a marvellous speech that had, you know, humanity, humility, uh, warmth, but but dignity. As and he really saw the preparation there. I mean, he it was it was a wonderful display of kingly conduct. And then everything that he's done since has been incredible. Really, I mean, you know, he was he wanted to go to the COP uh, uh, meeting last year, the climate change uh, UN climate change meeting, and he was told by the then uh, now you see her now you don't Prime Minister Liz Truss that he shouldn't go. Then he accepted that, but then you know he hosted everybody for COP, and 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 uh, in a way, his convening was a much more interesting thing to be at than COP itself. Uh, so he's already shown you know, that he's a great convener, as he's going to be. And I mean, when he went off to, uh, of course, his, his French tour was cancelled by the riots, or the protests, I should say, in France, but he went to Germany. I think we and, might have lost know,
0: our as... connection.
1: Oh, OK.
0: What happened? The author of the Palace was back. We've definitely lost our connection for the time being, but hopefully we'll get it back soon. We're just talking about the coronation and any questions uh, that you may have. Tina, you're back you're you're I'm back, back. Tina. I'm there, back. Wait, we just lost you for ten seconds there good that's a relief yeah you were just you uh, you lost us you were talking about how King Charles actually has been flawless so far, and that he's a yeah. great convener and that his- his convening actually, the, I think it was the well, weekend before COP, possibly, was actually more interesting yeah. than COP
1: itself. Well, that's correct. And then, of course, he went to Germany, um, couldn't go to France because of the protests in France, as he'd planned, which was disappointing. But he went to Germany, and it was considered a, a huge success, because this was supposed to be a lot of the post-Brexit you know, healing of using Charles, essentially, to, to start uh, healing the wounds of Brexit, essentially. And he got Hugely good marks uh, for that trip because you know, again, you know, Charles is a statesman. He knows all these prime ministers. He speaks German. He speaks French. He, he, you know, he's been meeting these world leaders ever since he was, you know, twenty. So he's just very, very good at it. So he's now really the country's most seasoned diplomat, actually. And at a point when there's a huge amount of volatility, you know, it's actually a, a very big asset to have Charles out there, as far as the Foreign Office is concerned so
0: nevertheless there are several polls pointing to the fact that younger people in particular aren't very interested in the coronation at all and i take your point that the day before people suddenly get interested and certainly there was an enormous outswelling of sympathy and uh, adoration for for the queen at her funeral um but britain's in a weird place you alluded to the um did you see her now she's gone liz truss prime minister there's been Three prime ministers in six months. There's endless strikes in Britain across various industries. Doctors and nurses striking. Um, is this does this feel something that Britain needs right now, or does it feel out of keeping with the times?
1: Well, to be honest, I mean the only one of the few things that seems to be working properly is is actually the monarchy and the transition to. Uh, between the reigns, I mean, that's what people are kind of surprised about. I think you know when the I certainly predicted that when the Queen died, you'd have this extraordinarily destabilised moment. Uh, you know, as regards to the monarchy, but actually, because Charles has been so sure-footed, that doesn't seem to have happened. And all of the kind of volatility and chaos has always had, has all been directed uh, in uh, the political class. So that in fact, it reminds people that to have a head of state who is not partisan, who is not from one side or the other, who actually can unite people uh, without politics being involved, has in fact proved, uh, I think, uh, very, very useful at this particular moment in national life. It's certainly true that the younger generation are less and less interested in monarchy. but they're not hostile to it particularly. I mean, you know, the polls don't show that there's a great. Uh, the uh, irony is, is that you know, a lot of people are bored by Charles or don't think Camilla should be queen. But you know, the fact is, is that the monarchy itself is in very good uh, standing with the British people. So perhaps it doesn't really matter, frankly, that the younger generation are not that engaged. Maybe they really weren't anyway ever before Diana, because Diana was the rock star who sort of brought the young into the monarchy, essentially, you know, who who made everybody incited and engaged with what was happening with the monarchy. I don't think that young people were probably at all interested in the boring old trout-faced, you know, Queen Mary or, or you know, George VI and, and the Queen were, you know, it was the war, so everybody was very patriotic. But I don't think that young people were hanging on you know the words of them particularly. So it may well will just be that actually young people are not that interested in monarchy and never have been, unless it happens to be somewhat as exciting as Princess Diana.
0: So is Diana's ghost going to be hanging over the coronation? She famously said in her interview with Martin Bashir that she didn't believe Charles would ever get what she called the top job, but here he is already in the top job. What will her friends and, well, will any of her friends and family be there? Will her brother, who spoke so eloquently at her memorial, be there? Charles Spencer?
1: No, Charles Spencer's not going, and he made some slightly derogatory comment about, no, he wouldn't be there, but he thinks he's got some coronation coronet knocking about in an attic or something. So, no, he won't <laughs> be there. Um, so... You know, I think there will be a lot of poignance about it. I mean, I think, you know, one can't underestimate. I'm sure that William will be thinking about it, about his mother. Uh, I think it's worth thinking about the kind of amazing excitement it would be if Diana was being crowned on May the 10th, on May the 6th. Um, If that incredibly beautiful and charismatic woman was about to have a crown put on her head, the magic is something you could hardly imagine what it would be. So, I think there is a sort of uh, poignance about, you know, ruefulness about the fact that she, you know, who died at 36, never got this moment, which she would have been so good at. Let's face it, she would have been really, really, really good at this. Uh, and it's very sad, actually, that it didn't happen. But we have the prospect of King William and Queen Kate. And That, I think, is going to be another very exciting moment uh, for the monarchy. So they have that to look forward to. And at that point, probably young people will become much more engaged when Queen Catherine is on the throne. Well, and of course,
0: for all the trials and tribulations with Harry and Meghan and William and Kate, they've kept it relevant they've managed to create a new soap opera, which has spun out across TikTok and Instagram and uh, all social media. So in a sense, even though it's not yes, William and Kate's turn yet, you feel that they've kept it going in a way that might not have been possible had it not been for Meghan creating the drama around the, the young poor. Is
1: that fair? Well, uh, absolutely. And I do feel... Um, I think Charles feels it. Actually, William doesn't, but Charles feels. I think what a great loss Harry and Meghan are. Um, now that the balcony lineup has been so so slimmed down at their own at Charles's behest. I mean, he said, "I want to make a slimmed down lineup. I want to get rid of all of the sort of you know uh, as it were extended family on that balcony. It's just going to be the immediate family." To me, there is a Harry-shaped hole on that balcony every time, and a Meghan-shaped hole every time. You know, when you see them. And I'm. I think it would be. It was a. It was a big loss uh, because I think the monarchy actually did need those two because for the Commonwealth, for the diversity, uh, for Harry's star power, which is frankly undeniable. You know, whatever uh, one thinks about. Uh, you know, his like him or not, he has tremendous magnetism and. You know, it was noticeable, I thought, during the Queen's funeral that whenever the cameras were on Harry, you felt that here, you know, the magnetism of Harry. He's a very, very charismatic individual. And of course, so is Meghan. So they're a loss, actually, to the monarchy. And the question, of course, the big question is if they're ever going to be able to be uh, sort of somehow reunited.
0: Well, it does feel like if there was a moment with King Charles and Harry that people saw in public, it might be a very heartwarming moment for a lot of families across the country because it's such a relatable event in a sense—parents falling out with kids, kids going off with uh, spouses that don't fit with the the bigger family. I mean, Meghan is supposed to have written a letter to Prince to King Charles pointing out the various flaws in. Uh, in the royal family's attitude to her. Do you think that, um, I mean, is King Charles likely to come to America and do a sort of state visit? Is it possible they might meet here?
1: I don't know. I mean, I think there's, um, unfortunately, every time that it looks like things could get better, then something happens and they get bad again. I definitely think that Charles and Harry are, are on speaking terms and there is going to be, affection that can be built on there. It's hard to see how that can happen with William, because William is very bitter, very, very angry. And I think at the moment, it's feeling he's just done with the whole situation. And the tragedy of it is really this, you know, you saw at the Queen's funeral when they did come out together, the two couples, which was an entirely sort of stage managed event. And we know that, you know, Kate has since said it was the hardest thing she's ever made herself do. The public loved it so much. I mean, they loved seeing those brothers together. They loved seeing those four people out there for them. And that is a great loss. So we'll see what happens. I'm not terribly hopeful. I mean, in in the case of George VI, uh, of course, and his uh, Edward VIII, who abdicated and became the Duke of Windsor and left, and there are many parallels, obviously, with Harry and Meghan, their relationship never, never improved. I mean, George VI and... Edward was so close as young men, very much in the same vein that William and Harry were. But as you know, the bitterness again about money, about status, about the way Wallace was received, it was so parallel, so much of it. And all that happened was that the gap between them got bigger and bigger and the animosity got worse and worse. So I'm not sure, not very hopeful, but I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. What about the empire? I mean, Canada, Australia. I mean, when the Queen died, we heard that it was possible these countries might choose to end their relationship with the Commonwealth uh, and certainly with the titular um, uh, uh, sort of oversight that the royal family has. Is that That seems to have faded a bit, that chat now.
1: Well, I mean, Charles, I'm told, is totally relaxed about the fact that he understands that the 14 sovereign realms uh, of the Commonwealth, of which he is still the titular head, that will change, that will go. It's only really a matter of time. But as to kind of it happening in a precipitous and let's boot him out now way, I don't think it is going to happen because quickly, it'll happen eventually, probably by the time William takes over. But right now, uh, these uh, Commonwealth countries are not wanting to particularly expend political capital or time on referendums for their constitution, unless there was a big movement inside their countries. I mean, we saw that in Barbados, there was a desire you know, for that, and it happened. And, uh, and, and, you know, and any country, I mean, he's made it clear, Charles, I think that you know, any country that wants him not to be there, he won't be there. So it's actually become a much less inflamed issue than it was.
0: So is he politically correct now, Charles? I mean, is
1: he a politically correct king? Well, I mean, I think he rather reminds me of Biden, you know, the sort of two woke grandpas. Um, Yes. uh, You know, he in a way, in in terms of his class of people, very much so, actually. I mean, that's what's so ironic about Charles is that he... um, Because he seems like such an old fogey and with that, you know, the strangulated voice and the kind of the way he's like the only one in a coat and tie when everyone else is in, you know, (laughs) in a T-shirt. But actually, he's quite an unconventional thinker and he always has been, always has been. I mean, his interfaith initiatives were very early, as we've said, you know, the environmental stuff was very early. I mean, he believes in in a, a tremendous amount in um, uh, you know in non orthodox medicine and and uh, you know was always kind of herbal remedies, all this stuff about Charles. I mean, he's quite a sort of hippy dippy side to Charles uh, that is kind of part of the interesting uh, sort of you know uh, paradoxes of his of his personality. So. Uh, in his class terms, yes, he probably is. But at the same time, he's also kind of the squarest man you could possibly imagine. You know, I mean, he's he's a funny combination, actually. So ca- casting
0: ahead, say, 20 years time, let's assume he stays in good health and he's decided to pass the throne on to William in 20 years. What state do you think we will find the British monarchy in?
1: I think it's going to have been much less global, the monarchy, because, you know, what kept the monarchy global was the Commonwealth and the Queen's endless uh, commitment. I mean, year upon year of those big royal tours, you know, I mean, that is definitely going to get reduced and reduced. The royal tour, we saw the last one was a complete fiasco with them um, uh, when, when William and Kate uh, went to Barbados and they just were. They we had the chain Barbados. link fence the chain link fence, you know, Kate in a huge white tea tray hat, standing at the back of a car that, you know, the queen had once ridden on with um, Mountbatten and the two of them, it was just all wrong in terms of contemporary imagery uh, in a much more diverse world. So I think that the Royal tours are gonna become much more about sort of brisk business visits and that, but that in turn is going to reduce their footprint. So I think you'll see in 20 years time, a much more uh, reduced a global footprint, I think they're going to be much more like uh, the European monarchs. I mean, can anybody even, you know, call up the name or the face of the King of Sweden or Belgium or, I mean, these other European countries, their families are very much liked or well-regarded, but they have very little uh, sort of, um, you know, they don't punch much above their weight at all, whereas the British monarchy is always punched wildly above its weight. That, I think, probably will change, and I wouldn't be surprised by the time William gets in. I wonder whether there'll even be a coronation because you know England's the only country that does have a coronation. That none of the European monarchies have coronations. We're the last ones left, and I can imagine William, who actually is absolutely not interested in any of that, I can imagine him saying, "Why? Why are we doing a coronation?" And it might not happen again. You may be seeing the last coronation. So I know you're.
0: Right. Well, I was just going to say, I know you're covering the event for CBS on on Saturday, so people really should tune in. Cause final question to you: This very well may be the last coronation that we ever get to see.
1: Yes, it may well be. I wouldn't be surprised if it is the last one. Absolutely. Yes. So well, everyone wants to tune in. I, I can't. <laughs>
0: I, I can't wait to hear your commentary on Saturday. I shall be glued to my television. Sadly, not having been invited. Five a.m. Uh, Five a.m. Thank, into, in, thank your, you. Your
1: very,
0: I know it's very early. You would think that they would. You would think that they might have timed it better with the American television market. That's what I would have done if yes, I was planning it, but Some, they didn't ask me. Um no, they didn't ask me,
1: and the Tina, human of network did
0: <laughs> Well. Tina, thank you very much for joining us. As ever, a complete thank you. authority on events royal and enormous fun to boot. And if people haven't read thank your book, Palace Papers, I hope they use this as an opportunity to pick it up.
1: I love talking to you, Joanna, always. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.